and welcome to The Literacy Teacher's Life, a podcast for teachers and parents that gives ideas about how to help our children learn to love reading, writing, and all things literacy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Morphus, a literacy professor and a mom to two elementary-aged girls. Here we'll talk about thoughtful, creative, and realistic ways to navigate literacy learning so that your children will feel supported and seen in their reading and writing. Now, let's get this conversation started. Hello, and welcome to the Literacy Teacher's Life podcast. This is the podcast for helping readers and writers thrive. This is episode 26, and it is airing at the beginning of October. Today, I have a guest on the podcast. Dr. Molly Ness is a former classroom teacher, reading researcher, and teacher educator. She was a professor of childhood education at Fordham University, and now she has a new book out called Read Alouds for All Learners, a Comprehensive Plan for Every Subject, Every Day. So today, Molly is going to join me, and we are going to talk all about her book and all about Read Alouds. So we're going to get right into the interview. All right. Welcome, Molly. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Would you mind starting by introducing yourself? Sure. And I will sort of back up as well and tell you a little bit about what got me to this place. My name is Molly Ness. I am a reading researcher, a teacher educator, a writer, a literacy advocate in general. And my career started as a classroom teacher in uh, Oakland, California. Thought I was going to law school and ended up recognizing that education was the social justice issue that mattered to me the most, but I needed to know a lot more. So came back east, got a doctorate in reading education at University of Virginia, and was really interested in teacher education, sort of bridging the gap between what we know in terms of peer-reviewed research and making it classroom applicable. And so I worked for 16 years as a professor teaching master's and doctoral level students at Fordham University and taught classes in language and literacy. And now I am the vice president of academic content at Learning Ally, which is an educational nonprofit working to address the literacy crisis. I like to say that I read, I write, and I write about reading, which is, you know, what I'm here to talk about today. Awesome. So you have a new book out, Read Alouds for All Learners, a comprehensive plan for every subject every day. Can you talk a little bit about this book and then we'll get into some more specifics? Sure. So I wrote this book because as a classroom teacher and as somebody who's well-versed in the research around Read Alouds, I was frustrated to see the misconfusion of them. I was frustrated that people saw Read Alouds as sort of a an extra thing, a if I have time at the end of the day or if my kids earn it. There was also a whole lot of conversation about the science of reading and these misconceptions that there's no room for read-alouds in the science of reading. And so I, I really wanted to not only demonstrate the data around read-alouds, but also help teachers effectively plan read-alouds. Mm-hmm. Because I think back to when I was a classroom teacher, my read aloud planning was I would sort of skim through the book and be like, okay, I think I'll get through these five pages or 10 chapters or what have you. And that 
isn't really maximizing the opportunity and the instructional benefits of the read aloud. So a good portion of the book is a protocol into a planning read alouds at a really explicit level. Awesome. Let's start. What is a read aloud? You begin the book with a definition of it. So sure. So I see a read aloud as an interactive language experience between Mm -hmm. either a teacher and a student or a group of students or a parent and caregiver and child. The key word there being interactive. It's that sort of ping pong of oral language and discourse that is being exchanged to facilitate language use and language application to get to learning. Great. Yeah, I love that. It's not just that you're reading the book to the students and you close it up. Yeah. And I think sometimes we, as teachers, and I will also say as parents, we sometimes get frustrated when kids interject Mm -hmm. in a read aloud because we're like, no, 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 don't interrupt. Wait till the end. And really those language, I don't even want to say interruptions, those language interactions Mm -hmm are what we should actually be encouraging. Right, to help make the meaning. And Yeah, wonderful. So what is the purpose of implementing a read aloud into reading instruction? Why is this so important? So there are just so many benefits of reading aloud. I think we all are pretty familiar with how read alouds build kids' vocabularies at mm-hmm. the both receptive and expressive level. We know that read-alouds build content knowledge and background knowledge and funds of knowledge, especially important for kids who their decoding ability is below their comprehension ability. So a read-aloud gives us the chance to expose kids to texts Mm -hmm. and topics and ideas and themes that they couldn't access on their own. I was kind of blown away by some of the recent research that actually shows there are physiological benefits from listening to read alouds. Mm -hmm. And if I have a second, I'll sort of geek out about them because they're so cool. So there's a study conducted at the neonatal intensive care unit at University of Virginia Hospital. They created what they called a reading garden where they had medically fragile babies who are in an incubator. They were premature babies. And they gave these children, these babies, read alouds in three different conditions. So the babies that were really medically fragile, they would whisper read for a, the parent or caregiver would whisper read for a very short duration, all the way up to babies who were more medically robust. They were about to be released. The parent or caregiver may read aloud to that baby at a normal level and for a longer duration, up to 30 minutes. And what they found was they found that the babies became more medically stable, meaning their Mm -hmm. heartbeats slowed, their oxygen levels increased. Mm -hmm. So we literally saw kind of a a decrease of the medical stress that these medically fragile babies were listening, were were going through just by reading. A similar study happened with older kids who Mm -hmm. were hospitalized, and um, we saw increases in neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. So kids reported as they listened to a read aloud in a hospital, they were less in pain. They were more relaxed. And so we're actually seeing things like physiological changes. We also see that when listening to a read aloud, 
the brain lights up, the language centers of the yeah. brain really get fired up. And so we are starting to see at a really profound level how read alouds benefit kids physiologically, academically, socio-emotionally. Um, so there's just too much reason to use them for kids all ages Yeah, to ignore, to overlook. Right. That's amazing. That's amazing research you found. Yeah, it was fun to, to yeah. dig through. <laughs> Just piggybacking off of that, that you were talking about, that read-alouds are so important for the different age groups. I really loved how you included specific strategies for conducting read-alouds with these different age groups of students. So I was wondering, could you talk a little bit about some of these strategies? So let's start with the youngest learners. What do you recommend for those pre-K through two students? Sure. So one of the things that we know is highly effective mm -hmm. for those early childhood kids is a read aloud strategy called print referencing. What I like about it is it's so simple in its mm -hmm. beauty, but most people don't do it. So we know using eye tracking software that when young children are read to, there are eye fixates on the picture or illustration. Right. But when we do the really easy thing of pointing to print conventions on the page um, that we increase children's familiarity mm -hmm. with the forms and functions of print. So at a three-year-old level, it might be something as easy as watch my finger. Here's where I start reading. I um, le read left to right. I sweep my finger at the end of a sentence to start the sentence on the next line. Help me turn the page all the way to kids who maybe, you know, five or six, things like on this page, I see a word that starts with the same letter as your name. Can you help me find that? Right. Or pointing out this character, we know he's talking because there's a speech bubble and these quotation marks mean that character mm -hmm. is talking. And what we know is that when we do print referencing, so easy and doesn't right. need a whole lot of training for a parent or caregiver or teacher, that we see real increases in children's mm -hmm. familiarity with print. Right. Well, that's a great one. Yeah. And it doesn't take much time. Absolutely. What about for those kids in upper elementary, the grades three through five? Yeah. So one of the things that I um, highly, highly recommend is thinking aloud. And what I mean here is if you watch most of us as we read aloud, we ask kids questions. Mm -hmm. Where did the character go? What do you think might happen next? And those are all well and useful. Right. But I, as we shift from asking questions to monitor comprehension, we can be really mindful of ways to build comprehension. Yeah. And we build comprehension through a think aloud. So a think aloud is kind of like I'm cracking open my head and talking through the invisible process that I'm using to understand a text. It is done with I statements, first person narrative statements. So Things like, I'm getting the sense to model mm. an inference, or I wonder why lets right. us see that we can ask the text questions. And what we know is think alouds are highly, highly beneficial for kids of all ages, all backgrounds, all different varieties of print. But they're not really frequently occurring because, because most of us think we're doing them already when really what we're doing, and I was... One of these people is we're asking kids questions about to monitor their right. comprehension rather than actively facilitating it yeah. through modeling. How many of these think clouds do you recommend 
let's say a, a picture book for third through fifth grade. Sure. So, you know, there's kind of a delicate dance between mm-hmm. how often do we want to stop yeah. and how much is kind of preventing comprehension or distracting from it. So typically, if I'm doing a picture book of average length, I might stop eight to 10 times. And I want to be really clear that these are not little mini lessons. They are literally a one or two sentences before you get back into reading the book. And what we know is that the more that we do this to model comprehension, Mm -hmm. the more likely our kids are to internalize those processes and then apply them to their reading. Exactly. Great. What I'm excited to hear about, what about for those middle school kids in grades six through eight? Read alouds sometimes tend to go by the wayside in middle schools. Yeah. What can teachers do? They do. And we know um, from lots of surveys and studies Mm -hmm. that there is a a significant decline of read alouds, typically at about third grade, particularly in middle school, particularly in content area classrooms. I think we need to rethink think at the middle school level what we mean by a read aloud. It's not going to look the same way as it does in a kindergarten class where you, you know, might cozy up on the rug and have a rocking chair and read a book from start to finish. A middle school teacher might read aloud from a newspaper article. If you're a Mm -hmm. science teacher and teaching about, you know, climate change, maybe you pull a paragraph from a newspaper article, or maybe if you're a gym teacher and you're about to start a new sport, like let's say you're about to start volleyball, well, go to the Volleyball Association and download the rules of the game rather than explaining them, model how you're reading them. So I think it's a matter of rethinking what we mean. It doesn't have to be an extended think aloud, you know, Mm -hmm. start to finish of a text 15 minutes, it can be sort of these little bursts of what we read aloud and really read aloud in meaningful, engaging ways and varieties of text. So social studies teachers can read aloud Mm -hmm. from historical documents and speeches. um, And there's just so many ways to do it as long as we sort of kind of push past what we have in our mind as the only way to read aloud. I like that. That's a great way to frame it for the middle school teachers and even high school. Absolutely. And just because in the book, I didn't include high school. Right. And that was no way as a implication. I did not in any way mean to imply that high school teachers shouldn't read aloud. It was just, I don't have personal high school teaching experience. And so I didn't feel like I was the credible source to write it. I'll let somebody else write that book. But we know that not only do high school kids request it and want more, that they enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah. It's always great to hear something read aloud, especially in the, as you said, in the content areas where the vocabulary is new and the concepts are new. Absolutely. And that's what we know about language comprehension. Mm -hmm. We're having so many conversations at different levels about the science of reading. And there's been so much focus on sort of the constrained skills of decoding and phonics and word recognition. But we know that kids need background knowledge and content Mm -hmm. knowledge and language comprehension and understanding of semantics and structure. And all of that can be facilitated through reading aloud. Yeah. Let's keep going with that because I'm often asked, how does this fit in with science of reading or do read alouds fit in with science of reading? So Can you speak a little bit more about that? 
how these go together? Sure. So um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what the science of reading is. So I refer to the science of reading as a body of research that is Mm -hmm. 50 years in the making, at least 50 years, and that's interdisciplinary. And so by those definitions alone, Mm -hmm. read-alouds are absolutely peer-reviewed strategies that build language comprehension. So when we're trying to build kids' understanding of language, vocabulary, and background knowledge, a read-aloud is the sort of quintessential way to do that. So when people sort of, I got sort of fired up that <laughs> they're on social media, there was a whole conversation I was following that, you know, there's no time and place for read-alouds in the science of reading, which is mm. not true at all and a misconception that we need to fight past and actively say, no, 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 a read-aloud is the way to facilitate language comprehension, because how else are you going to build background knowledge and vocabulary and all of those things that kids need in order to make meaning of text? Did they offer another option other than, was there anything else offered? Well, I tried not to go too far down the (laughs) rabbit hole because, you know, all of a sudden 45 minutes have gone. You're like, "Uh, where did my time go? (laughs) (laughs) So um, instead, I sort of tried to say, well, why don't I actually write the book that shows that the read-alouds are really important in the science of reading? Mm -hmm. And in the book itself, there's a whole chapter that is literally the research around read-alouds. And I should say to anyone who is interested in the actual science, the references, if somebody Mm -hmm. wants the actual PDFs and can't access them because of an academic paywall or what have you, please reach out to me. Oh, that's great. I feel very frustrated that sometimes because of higher education institutions and, you know, copyright and such that we have to get research into the hands of teachers and school leaders. And if I can be somebody who facilitates that, I'm happy to. Oh, thank you so much. Awesome. So another question that I get very frequently from particularly newer teachers is where to go to find great books or texts to use for read-alouds. So do you have any resources that you recommend for looking for texts? Sure. Well, I will say that in the appendix of the book, there is a whole list that is Mm -hmm. sorted by content areas. So I always recommend that whatever teacher go to their professional organization. So if you are a math teacher, you know, Mm -hmm. go to the National Association for Math Teachers. I know you probably messed the name up, but you know, you can Google those sorts of things. I am a huge fan of the work of We Need Diverse Books mm-hmm. and that organization. We know from research that I think it was a 2022 article did a survey of classroom teachers and the text that they had most re- recently read aloud. And what we saw was that the vast, vast majority of texts that were read aloud were 25 years old on average. And I am not in any way saying that there isn't a time and place for where the wild things are and corduroy and some of those beloved picture books. But I am saying that the richness and diversity of texts that are recently published offer opportunities, which some of those older beloved ones just simply don't. And so I really encourage people to push past their comfort zone and not just pick a book because it was a book that they loved, mm-hmm. but really is the right book for the right group of students at the yeah. right time. I had this experience myself when I was a sixth grade teacher. 
I had the, well, what should I read next? Right. And I asked my cousin, who happened to be a sixth grader at the time, and he said, oh, I just finished Hatchet, and I love it. So I went to my class of kids in Oakland, California, who lived in a high-poverty area mm -hmm. with very little access to nature and right. survival stuff. And this was way before survival shows were big on TV. Mm -hmm. And I started reading Hatchet. And I, I'm sure there are listeners out there who are like, I love Hatchet. Yeah. I'm not poo-pooing Hatchet. Right. <laughs> it was not the right book for my kids at the time because they had no entry point into it. It right. had it was just so beyond their reality. And I had to, to abandon it, which is actually another practice that I think we sometimes are fearful of doing, but saying, you know what, this isn't the right book mm -hmm. for me right now. And it's okay because I'm going to use my time to find something that is captivating me or, or is more interesting. So I actually mm -hmm. pulled my kids and I said, how many of you guys want to finish this? And when not enough kids wanted to, we chose another right. book and the kids that wanted to, we made that happen. But That's great. it's really trying to find a book that, or text, not just a book. Yeah. It can, you know, be a speech or I used to use a lot of song lyrics, which mm -hmm. are wildly popular with middle school and high school kids. Um, there's just so much out there. Right. And the stuff that is being published on a daily basis is just fantastic. Yeah, I like that idea. And it's good modeling, too, that, look, we don't have to fit. There isn't a rule that says just because you begin a book means that you need to finish a book. Sure. And and yeah. if we are modeling read-alouds to build right. reading as a lifelong habit, yes. I, as a lifelong reader, I abandon books all the time. And I don't, right. I mean, unless it's my book club book, and then I really want right. to slog through it. But I find ways to get into that book at, through other entry points, through an audio book, or right. maybe I'll even actually read a chapter synopsis online and then you know yeah. skip that chapter that was too slow for me. But I do think it's an important practice that mm -hmm. we can model. Yeah, that's great. So your book is primarily aimed at teachers, but there are so many great suggestions for parents as well. So do you have a particular suggestion or strategy for parents who want to read aloud to their kids at home? Yeah. So when I work with parents, I think about myself as a parent. Yeah. When I was a professor and my daughter was young, I would teach till 7.30, 9 o'clock at night mm -hmm. sometimes. And we all know we should read aloud to our kids. Right. But the animation and the whole rigmarole of the enthusiasm, like at nine o'clock at night, I was like, I just can't do it. And right. so I went into this shame spiral until I shifted my time and said, okay, late night is not going to work for me. Maybe right. I'll read one book instead of three. And maybe I'll let my kid listen to a CD of a book while mm -hmm. she falls asleep. But I'm going to shift my read aloud to a time that works. And maybe right. that's in the bathtub. Maybe that's when we are waiting for the school bus to pick us up. Maybe that's in the morning first right. thing. So I think we also have to push past the a read aloud only counts if it's 15 minutes start to, to end and it's right. you know right before bedtime. You have to make it work for you. And then the other thing that I always encourage parents is to read from informational text. We know that most parents don't read from informational text. And by informational, I mean that specific subset of nonfiction text, which explains a concept like ladybugs or like the water cycle. Mm -hmm. They 
are not in lots of survey and lots of research, yeah. parents tend to not read them because they're not the warm, fuzzy, let's, right. you know, snuggle up and read a, you know, narrative text. But then what happens is kids get to school and the majority of their time is in informational text. Mm -hmm. So I highly encourage people to find informational text that relates to whatever your experience is. So for example, we are sort of on the verge of fall and mm -hmm. lots of families are going to go apple picking or pumpkin picking or what have you. Go to the library and get a Gail Gibbons book about apples mm -hmm. or, you know, incorporate informational text about the holidays that are upcoming or lean into kids' questions. I think about my niece. One day we were looking at the night sky and I pointed out the Big Dipper and I pointed out the Little Dipper and she asked me a really great question. She said, well, where's the Medium Dipper? And I That's said, I, I don't know, but <laughs> let's go look for a book yeah. that will help us find that. So reading more informational text, it was something I was keenly aware of through mm -hmm. the research. And when I thought about my practices as a parent, I wasn't doing what I preached. So I had to really stop and flip the switch on that. That's a great suggestion. Thank you. So before we end, is there one thing that you recommend that teachers try and implement into their own read-alouds or in their own reading instruction in general to support their students? Well, I'm a huge fan of the think-alouds because I think they can be applied to any text, mm -hmm. any content area. So I think modeling our thinking and modeling our comprehension is hugely important. But I think also just really encouraging people to look at a text and question themselves about the background knowledge mm -hmm. or the content knowledge that the text assumes a reader brings to the page. There's a whole lot out there now on the importance of content knowledge and background knowledge and its relationship to comprehension. But what we as teachers can do is we can preview a text that we're about to read and say, okay, well, what do my kids need to understand about this book before they read it so that I make the read aloud more successful? So identifying those things, which could be comprehension breakdowns, unless I actively build them. For example, lots of us know the beloved Mo Willems book, Knuffle mm -hmm. Bunny. Right which takes place at a laundromat. Well, not every kid knows what a laundromat is. Maybe they have a washer and dryer in their house. Maybe they have, you know, one in the basement. So if you're going to read right. that book, this actually happened to me. I read the whole book and I assumed mm -hmm. all of my kids in this classroom knew what a laundromat was. And a kid raised his hand at the end and says, what was that place <laughs> they went to? That was like a big missed opportunity for me. Right. Had I said before reading okay, guys, you need to know this new place that this, the action of the story takes place in, I would have increased that child's comprehension and probably lots of right. other kids in that class. So really being mindful of um, what the book demands of us before we read mm -hmm. it so that we make the read aloud more accessible. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about your book. Can you let listeners know where they can find you or or Again, more information on the book. That would be great. Sure. The book is Read Aloud for All Learners. It's from Solution Tree, which you can, mm -hmm. of course, buy it on their website. And you can also just get it at Amazon. And for more of my work, you can visit my webpage, Dr. That's D-R Molly Ness, M-O-L-L-Y, Ness, N-E-S-S dot -S, com. 
and I'm, I'm pretty active on social media in terms of my own writing and thinking and, and such. So I encourage emails and questions and follow-up and sharing resources because I love hearing what people are trying out and what worked yeah. and what didn't work and um, doing it all to build literacy for all kids. Great. Well, thank you so much, Molly. Thank you for your time. Well, that was great. Molly offered so many great strategies and ideas for planning read-alouds with your students. Read-alouds happen to be one of my favorite teaching practices to use in my own teaching, even with graduate students. I still use them with my group every semester. So I really do hope that Molly shared something with you about read-alouds that you found helpful and that you feel you can implement into your own teaching. Her book, as she said, has so many explicit ways that you can use read aloud in your teaching. So I do hope you'll check it out. I will be back in two weeks. And until then, you can find me on Instagram at The Literacy Teacher's Life or check out my blog at theliteracyteacherslife.com. Until next time, happy reading. And that's it for this episode of The Literacy Teacher's Life. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at The Literacy Teacher's Life. My email address is elizabeth at theliteracyteacherslife.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell a friend about this podcast. And of course, you can leave me a review on any podcast platform where you listen. I so appreciate it. I'll see you next time. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.